You will never know what that means to me. That is everything. Everything. We love you, boys. We love you. Hello and welcome to 52 Years A World Cup Podcast. My name is Richard Carey. And blimmin' I can't believe it. Uh, everything that happened yesterday is pretty mad and we're going to look back on it on today's show as well as all the games from Monday and Tuesday. Uh, so we'll start with some World Cup news. World Cup news. So the big news, England won a penalty shootout at a World Cup for the first time ever. Yes, England won 4-3 on penalties against Colombia on Tuesday night with Eric Dyer scoring the winning penalty. Jordan Henderson had missed a penalty before that. And everyone thought, oh no, it's all going wrong again. But also a save by Pickford gave England the penalty win. How about that? Uh, That's pretty much all the World Cup news, apart from one other story I found, which is quite a crazy story. John Mikel Obi's father was kidnapped before Nigeria's last group game against Argentina. And Mikel was told about his father's capture four hours before the game but didn't even mention it to his teammates or his coach because he didn't want it to be a distraction. His father's rescue was preceded by a gun battle between Nigerian police and the kidnappers, who then fled. Mikel reportedly paid around 21000 for his father's release, who is now recuperating with his family. What a crazy story that is, and I wish uh, John Mikel Obi's father all the best. So let's have a look at all the results from Brazil 2, Mexico 0, Belgium 3, Japan 2, Sweden 1, Switzerland 0, England 1, Colombia 1. England won 4-3 on penalties. And we have to start at that England versus Colombia game. And let's... So... A bit different stats today. We're going to look at the bookings. So for Colombia, Arias, Sanchez, Barrios, Baca, Cuadrado, and Falco all received yellow cards. That's over half of Colombia's team were booked. And for England, Henderson and Lingard were booked, so slightly better. On the 57th minute, Kane was taken down the area by Sanchez. It was a really stupid foul to commit, and it was a penalty to England. It took almost a full five minutes to take the penalty as 
Colombia's argued with the referee and tries shenanigans. And the delay actually saw Jordan Henderson, the England player, get a yellow card for arguing with the ref after all that. It was, it was farcical. But in the end, Harry Kane got to step up and take the spot kit, and he made it 1-0 to England. It looked like that's how it would finish until the very dying moments of the game. The 93rd minute, there was a corner for Colombia taken by Cuadrado. It was headed in by Mina to equalise in the dying moments. And uh, I think it was Kyle Walker on the post um, headed it up and actually it, it went in. And it's possible that Pickford would have got it had he not uh, got involved. So after 90 minutes, it was 1-1. That meant extra time and extra time ended 1-1-2 and that meant we were at the very horrible thing that you get with being an England fan a penalty shootout so Falco took the first penalty for Colombia and he made it 1-0 Kane then stepped up to score his second penalty of the game to make it 1-1 Cuadrado for Colombia slotted in to make it 2-1 to Colombia Rashford equalised to make it 2-2 uh, Muriel Made it 3-2 to Colombia. Then Jordan Henderson stepped up and missed. So Colombia had the advantage. But then Uribe uh, for Colombia also missed. And it looked like we were back on square terms. And we were when Kieran Trippier, the right back of all people, stepping up fourth to take a penalty to make it 3-3. Then Backer for Colombia with a fifth penalty. He missed it. What a golden opportunity for England. Eric Dyer stepped up to take the penalty. He hit it. The keeper got a hand to it. But it went in. 4-3 to England on penalties. It's England's second win in a penalty shootout ever after Euro 96 against Spain. It's the first ever in a World Cup. That is crazy. Uh, it's also the first time England are going to the quarterfinals since 2006. And if they get through to the semifinals... It will be the best World Cup performance since 1990. I mean, they didn't half make hard work of it, but England did do it. Uh, the supposedly easy side of the draw, I put that in inverted commas, is showing there's really no easy games in knockout football. And England really should have won this in normal time. They look the better team in the 90 minutes. Uh, very strong defensive performance actually I think uh, apart from the corner they conceded actually England reminded me a little bit of Uruguay in the fact that they've they've got kind of a serviceable midfield they've got a, a pretty decent back line now after, with the additions of Maguire and Trippier compared to what they used to have uh, and it was, it was only a blip a bit like Uruguay's blip with the Pepe corner um, that caused England to concede and I think, you know, these improvements that Southgate's made, and we talk also about Jordan Pickford, who had a really good game. Um, amazing save he had after a crazy shot from Uribe. And he obviously saved the critical penalty to put England through to the next round. So it's those little changes that Southgate's made um, from the Hodgson side two years ago that's made a massive difference to the team. You could obviously argue that England up front have a little bit to be desired. Um, but you know I think it, Kieran Trippier has been fantastic he's been the England's player of the tournament so far you know fair play for him to take a penalty fourth you know a fourth penalty taker as a right back you know I don't think you see Gary Neville doing that yeah 
you know, it, it does, actually, it's an interesting stat, actually, that England only got two shots on target out of 16, which does show you the clinicalness in front of goal. The finishing, perhaps, needs to uh, improve. There's a lot of criticism about Daniel Sturridge. Not Daniel Sturridge. Raheem Sterling. I can't believe... I don't know why I get those confused. Daniel Sturridge, not in the squad. Uh, Raheem Sterling, um, who missed a lot of chances and is getting a lot of criticism... Uh, I think it is sort of justified because he hasn't had a good game at this World Cup. And I don't really... I've seen him very good in England's shirt, but I suppose they're winning, so you can't really complain that much. Colombia's tactics will be seen as controversial, particularly around the England penalty, which I don't know what they're actually trying to achieve from that. I mean, you can't just delay for 30 minutes and then the penalty doesn't get taken. It doesn't work like that in football. You just have 30 minutes of stoppage time, which would be insane. It was pretty miraculous. They kept 11 players on the pitch. You know, half their players got yellow cards. Even sometimes people get confused about who had yellow already. And I was in a pub watching the game and some people going, oh, send him off and actually hadn't been booked yet. So <laughs> it's quite funny. Um, but that's what you get of England fans, don't you? Um, you know, they were really lucky to stay in the game with that last gasp equaliser. Um, actually, in the first half of extra time, they looked the better team. So, you know, had they capitalised in that period, it could have been a different story. But they did really miss James Rodriguez. I think he had been fit. I think Colombia could have taken this, you know. So I asked for your thoughts on my Twitter at 52 Years World Cup, and this is what you said. Uh, at Jam Master Dolly, James Daly Oliver. England passed their first major test. Should have won the game in normal time. Could have won it in extra time. Nearly lost it on penalties, but won it on penalties. Colombia were dirty, should have been down to 10 men, but weren't. The incident before Kane's pen was a joke. Ref had a hard night. Yes, the ref is a guy called Mike Geiger, who uh, referees in the MLS. And my American friends are telling me that uh, he's not a very good referee. And I think he showed it tonight. He wasn't in control of the game, which is the biggest issue. You know, he, There was so much going on that he should have either sent somebody off or given them an ultimatum or something to just get on with the game. And that Dominic Shen says, when you win matches that some teams would lose, despite being better, then you know you can make it very far in this tournament. It's about bloody time that the English national team reaps the benefits of its strong league. Yes, you know, the Premier League has always been a very strong league. It's been slightly maybe worse at the minute because, you know, the, the European... I go, actually, no, I'll take that back because the European record, obviously, Liverpool got to the final of the Champions League. Um but some of the other teams didn't do as well. Uh, but I think, you know, yeah, obviously England set-up hasn't really reflected that because the main players in the, the likes of Man United, Man City, uh, even Liverpool to an extent, haven't been English. But you obviously got a, a team like Tottenham, which is you know, quite heavily... Um, England players are quite heavily featured in that team. And I also apologise to Jeffro Ruse, at Jeffro underscore Ruse on Twitter, who I forgot to uh, read out his comment on Sunday, which was about the, uh, uh, the I think it's Spain, Russia and the Croatia, um, the Croatia game. And he said, those two matches were bloody awful, wonderful climax though. So there you go. I read it out in the end. Um, 
So yeah, I mean, remember you can follow me at 52 Years World Cup, but I might just be talking about Gareth Southgate looking like a snooker player, as I've been going on about recently. It's just that waistcoat. He just looks like he's going to go for a couple of frames in the snooker hall. You know, maybe going to play at the Crucible with Ronnie O'Sullivan. I, I don't know. I just think that it's. it's I'm, not, I'm not against that fashion sense. You know, it's kind of cool. It kind of works for him. So, you know, whatever. But I have to give, you know, praise to Southgate. I think he he's tactically a lot better than Hodgson was. We always say, oh, Hodgson's a tactical genius. No, he wasn't. He was rubbish. Southgate's actually getting results. He's actually won a penalty shootout for England, which is like what? You know, I, I mean, you have to, you know. We have to qualify that statement with the last time that England won a penalty shootout. They went out in the next round to a penalty shootout. So just bear that in mind a little bit. But who would England face? That's the big question, isn't it? Who would they face? The answer would be in the next match. But there was something to happen in this match, which means I have to go to the far one. So, the far was pretty quiet in the last two game, days, but there was one incident in the Sweden versus Switzerland game on the 93rd minute. Olsen was brought down the edge of the area by the last man, Lang, who was actually sent off by the referee. And the referee initially gave a penalty for this decision, but it was actually reversed by VAR as they saw the challenge was outside the box. Correct decision, in my opinion. And the free kick that resulted from it uh, was actually saved by Summer and it ended up being the last. <laughs> Woo! Sorry, I just felt like doing that. It's Ric Flair's music. Uh, so, <laughs> um, let's talk about this, the Sweden versus Switzerland game. There was one goal in it on the 66th minute. Forsberg scored after a horrible deflection. Uh, which made it 1-0 to Sweden, that's how it finished. So Sweden are through to face England, we'll talk about that in a minute. Let's just talk about the match itself. I only got to see the highlights of this, but from what I saw, there were a ton of chance in this game, and absolutely zero accuracy, you know. So many wayward shots from both Sweden and Switzerland, it's no surprise this match was decided on a massive deflection. They only had, uh, Sweden actually only had 33% of the possession but still managed to win. It's a bit like the Russia thing, slightly better, because Russia had like 20%, whereas Sweden had 33%. But it's only a third percent. So, minus there, 25%. <laughs> you would get about 8% um, of possession. Uh, so, so I, I thought that, you know, Switzerland's uh, were a bit frustrated by the Swedish... Uh, that they couldn't get through. Some are sort of key. I, I just think, you know, I don't think these two teams should be a threat for England when you look at how they played in this game. 
obviously Switzerland won't be because they're out. But from a Sweden perspective, you know, they're very wasteful. I mean, there's going to be two very wasteful sides. It's England, pretty wasteful. Sweden, pretty, pretty wasteful. It could well be penalties again. Oh dear, let's not let, let's not let that happen. Yikes. So I thought we would have a look at England's and Sweden's head-to-head record to see you know, which actually uh, country has done better off over the years. So the record is England have won eight, Sweden have won seven, and there have been nine draws. So I'll just bring you through the matches from, ni- from 1992 to the present day. Uh, so at the at Euro 92, Sweden played England and Sweden won 2-1. You might remember that. I think it was the Swedes versus Turnips headline in the English press, which uh, got some uh, publicity then. And that was when Graham Taylor got sacked. I don't think he got sacked then. No, he, he was still manager then because then they failed to qualify for the World Cup. Then he got sacked. Then in 1995, England versus Sweden was in the Umbro Cup, and they drawed 3-3. Uh, in 98, Sweden played England in a Euro qualifier, and Sweden won 2-1. In, uh, in 99, England played Sweden in another Euro qualifier, and it was 0-0. On two, in 2001, November 2001, it was England versus Sweden in international friendly, and it finished 1-1. The World Cup 2002, England played Sweden and it was 1-1. Uh, in the international friendly in 2004, uh, Sweden played England and Sweden won 1-0. In the World Cup 2006, Sweden played England and it was a 2-2 draw. That was the game with uh, Joe Cole's like really good goal, if you remember. Then they didn't play each other for five years. It was in uh, 2011, England played Sweden international friendly. And, oh my God, England actually won a game. It was 1-0 to England. At Euro 2012, uh, Sweden played England. And England actually won that game. It's their, so it's the last competitive game. Uh, England won it 3-2. And then in 2012, Sweden played England international friendly in November. And Sweden won 4-2. That was with that. Uh, sort of fantastic Zlatan Ibrahimovic goal, which you might remember. So, looking on paper there, not looking great for England. Um, a lot of defeats, a lot of draws, and, you know, I don't think we want another penalty shootout. I don't think my heart can take it, to be honest. That was quite stressful as it was. Um, so, let I mean, you can kind of be a little bit more optimistic based on the more recent history between Sweden and England. And maybe that's what counts, and maybe history doesn't really matter. It's all about the current teams that are in play. But I think what I'm trying to say is let's, you know, I know everybody thinks now it's coming home, we're going to win the World Cup. Just slow down a little bit. Let's take it one game at a time. You know, Sweden's not going to be easy. Let's not underestimate Sweden. Let's not underestimate whoever we could potentially face if we win, big if, in the semi finals. But let's not get ahead of ourselves one game at a time. And let's just, you know, hope England play well and win that match and then continue uh, their trip towards the World Cup. And yes, you know, I'll admit, this is probably England's best chance of winning it for a long time. You know, even when you look back, you know, how many times have England been knocked out by like some Portugal or Germany or even Argentina in the World Cup? And now. 
and in Italy, and these teams just aren't here anymore. So the sort of barriers that we've had in the past don't exist so much. Then again, you know, what happened two years ago with Iceland shows you that any team on their day could beat England. So with that in mind, we shouldn't take it for granted. So one sec. Right, let's have a look at Monday's games, starting with Belgium versus Japan. Let's have a look at some stats for this. Possession, 57% Belgium, 43% Japan. Shots... 24 Belgium, 11 Japan. Shots on target, Belgium 8, Japan 4. On the 48th minute, the ball ran through to Haraguchi. His low hard shot found the net to make it 1-0 to Japan. On the 52nd minute, just 4 minutes later, Kagawa played it back to Inui, who scored from about 30 yards out with a great strike. 2-0 Japan. I was jumping up and down at this point. On the 69th minute, a mad header by Fatonga was hit across goal. Keeper was kind of out of position and the ball actually went in the back of the net. Belgium had pegged it back to 2-1. And on the 74th minute, a hazard cross into the substitute Fellaini. He headed it into the net and made things all square at 2-2. And on the 94th minute, basically the last kick of the game, there was a corner to Japan. It was picked out of the air by Courtois. It was a Belgian counter-attack. De Bruyne played it through to... Mainua, who crossed the ball on the ground to Chadley and tapped it in for the win. 3-2 to Belgium at the last. Unbelievable stuff. Bloody hell, that second half was absolutely amazing. And people thought Japan were the easy team. Yeah, perhaps not. They just went for this game. I really like that. You know, they were not sitting back and defending like Russia they were going for the win and I really respect that and they actually you know they actually got a benefit from that because they scored two goals and it looked pretty good for them at one point uh, and then it sort of went downhill but you've got to give credit to Martinez with the substitutions he made he went kind of for an old school tactic you know get the big guys in the box and hope that works and you know, that's the go-to tactic. It's almost a Mourinho go-to tactic. When something isn't working, we'll stick Fellaini up front and hope he heads the ball in the net. And in this case, it worked perfectly for Martinez because Fellaini did exactly that. And then Chadley was the other substitute he did in a double sub. And he also scored, uh, he actually scored the winner for Belgium. So a fantastic tactical work there by Martinez to uh, bring it back from the dead, basically. You know, I feel really bad for Japan, you know. I think there was definitely exposed at the back, especially with the keeper I thought was a bit dodgy. But their performance going forward was pretty great, and they could have won the game easily, even when it was 2-2. Honda had a really good free kick attempt just before the goal. It could have easily gone the other way. I'm really sorry that they've gone out. I think that was a really entertaining half of football. We've had two amazing games in this last 16, that France-Argentina 4-3, and this absolute stunner, particularly the second half, between Belgium and Japan that ended 3-2. 
but to be honest, I think both sides showed a lot of weaknesses. And I think Belgium are really going to struggle against their opponents in the quarterfinals, which we shall get to. So let's have a look at... So, what happened in Brazil versus Mexico? On the 51st minute, there was a cross by Willian, who passed the keeper, who passed the ball past the keeper, does that make sense? And slotted into, it was slotted into an empty net by Neymar, 1-0 Brazil. Then a great run by Neymar, who dinked it past the keeper again, and Firmino was at the back post for another easy tap-in, made it 2-0 Brazil, and that's how it ended at the end of the game. I've got to give big props to Ochoa, who's the uh, goalkeeper for Mexico. He was saving just about every shot that was at him in the match. And without Ochoa, I think the scoreline would more, be more like 10-0. No wonder the only times Brazil could actually score were when they got the ball past the keeper and there was an open goal. Uh, Mexico go out in the second round for the seventh World Cup in a the row. They must feel like they're in Groundhog Day. You know, I think Javier Hernandez wakes up in the morning to I've got you, babe. They're just waiting for the day that they can get to a quarterfinal, waiting to wake up in a World Cup quarterfinal, but it just hasn't happened. Uh, and they start the tournament so well, you know, that game against Germany, but then it's sort of, that was the peak, and it's gone downhill ever since. You know, they, I know they beat South Korea, but it was there was threatening South Korea at the end, and uh, the 3-0 loss to Sweden really took out the uh, momentum, I think, uh, and didn't really help preparing for this game. Yeah, Mexico had a few chances when it was nil-nil to create an upset, but nothing really came off for them. And from a Brazil standpoint, it's pretty much all the uh, attentions on Neymar. He was instrumental in both goals that ensured Brazil progressed, but he was awful, he was doing an awful lot of rolling, 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 rolling on the floor. I mean, why does he feel the need to do these such pantomime reactions to fouls and just? You know, try and play up everything. and I really don't think it's very necessary. Also, Firmino, you know, who's only been a substitute for uh, Brazil, now has scored a goal in, from an appearance from the subs bench. You sort of wonder why Jesus is being picked in front of him when Firmino looks like a more attacking threat. But maybe that's the point. Maybe it's a super sub kind of idea. I don't know. But there you go. So... Uh, with the second round done now, we have to say a few more goodbyes. Sayonara, Japan. Thanks for cleaning up after yourselves. Adios, Mexico. Hopefully you won't be like Bill Murray in Groundhog Day forever. Alfida Sane Switzerland, or is it au revoir, or arrivederci, really not sure. See you later Colombia, you just couldn't cheat yourselves into staying in this co-
quarterfinals look like. So have a look at what the quarterfinals look like now. On Friday at 3pm it's Uruguay versus France. And then at 7pm it's the Belter between Brazil and Belgium. Then on Saturday at 3pm it's the big game. Saturday afternoon just like a traditional a Premier League match. Sweden versus England. And then at 7pm Russia versus Croatia. So... I'm going to give you my predictions for the quarterfinals and maybe how it goes down from now on. I think France will beat Uruguay. I just think France Mbappe is going to be too much of a problem for the Uruguayans. Uh, I think Brazil are going to beat Belgium. I just see that quality from Brazil. I think Belgium have a lot of weaknesses based on the last game. I think England will win against Sweden, but I don't want to get too optimistic about things. Um... But I think they will have to win in either normal time or extra time because another penalty shooter, I just can't see them winning two in a row. And Russia versus Croatia, I have a horrible feeling that Russia's going to win. Although Croatia are on the better side on paper. It just, it just feels like Russia are going to get the, you know, the luck or whatever else it might be that will see them through. And I'm sure there'll be another sort of 10 men behind the ball kind of performance. I don't really suspect that match will be very good. It'll probably be the worst of the quarterfinals. So that would leave Spain, Brazil and England, Russia. You know, that England Russia game could be horrid. It could be a you know, it could be a real nightmare and France Brazil would be an absolute classic, you know, enough to be any final was the ninety eight final. Um you know, I could see France taking that. I think we could have a final of France versus England. I don't want to get too optimistic right now. But it is possible that football is almost coming home. But I think the most likely best option for England is actually losing finalists. But we don't want to admit that now. So there you go. Let's be optimistic. Like Badil and Skinner. Let's be like Badil and Skinner and say that it's coming home. It's coming home. So thank you for listening uh, to... 52 years a world cup podcast maybe we'll reset the count to zero years hmm. we'll see what happens uh, but remember you can follow me on twitter at 52 years world cup you can uh, find us on soundcloud soundcloud.com slash 52 years world cup or you can find us on itunes just search 52 years world cup mm-hmm.